going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Thanks so much, Capital. And this is a gold medal edition of the Going Deep podcast. Only medalists allowed. Uh, we got rarefied air and three individuals in very different forms and fashion will be heading to the Paris Olympics this upcoming summer. It's crazy to even think that. And they are hoping to get on a podium. And for our first guest, they're hoping to get back on a podium. And that would be Andre de Grasse, six-time Canadian Olympic medalist, which is wild. And he has still room to add more to that trophy case. And he's actually adding things to your bookcase. He has a new book that came out this fall, actually came out October 17th, called Ignite, Unlock the Hidden Potential Within. It's almost like a how-to book from one of the greatest athletes on our planet and how he approaches things real insightful and introspective some practical lessons that he's learned along the way in his life that he's applied to his endeavors on the track as an olympian a world champion but also as a philanthropist and the side of him i love because i relate because we have kids that are similar age as a family man and i don't relate because he is one of the fastest humans alive and i certainly am not but I do really appreciate that if you saw the two of us in a space, you wouldn't really know the difference. Low-key, it's crazy. He does what he does at a similar size to me, but he's been able to push the limit on what he can do with his physical body and what might be even possible in the sport, especially coming out of Canada. So I was able to... Get a preview copy of his book and pick up some of the inspirational stories and lessons about his determination, his resilience, his perseverance along the way, and some helpful advice. And so I thought it was only right to share that with you. So that is the genesis of my conversation with Olympic track athlete and now author, although he had a children's book before, but big person book, author. Andre DeGrasse. Let's go deep. Congrats. Whenever I see you, I'm congratulating you on something else. <laughs> now, Appreciate that. it's a book. Uh, you're an author. What's that feel like? Oh, I mean, uh, to be honest, it's, uh, the feeling is, 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 is like overwhelming because um, when I first got approached about this opportunity to write a book, I was like, no way. Like, why, why me, right? Um, but, you know, just hearing from, like, my supporters, you know, my family, my friends, they're always like, you know, you have a great story to tell, you know, you should you should do, really do this, you know, like, take it seriously and, you know, write a book and try to just, you know, give something motivational to your fans and to anybody that wants, you know, you know, I guess life, life lessons on, um, you know, my career on and off the track because, you know, they find me so intriguing, I guess, in a way. So at first I was like, no, 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 but... I, after a while, just getting used to it, you know, just 
just writing and like you know teaming up obviously with an author on it um dan robson great guy um you know we put something together and i was like you know i'm liking it you know did the first few chapters i said okay you know this is something that uh we can get into and we ended up writing like 30 chapters in the book about you know just my career on and off the track my life what i've learned um throughout it and you know now it just kind of feels good to you know get it get it on pen and paper and you know get a book out there you know so so my fans can read it <laughs> my question is why now your yeah. story is not done i know right in yeah. france i'm sure you're hoping to come home with three medals yeah why did you decide this was the right moment to tell your yeah. story yeah i mean um you know, I, I think it's just you know just opportunity you know when the opportunity presented itself i said you know let's do it um, of course, you know, like you said, yeah, Paris is coming up and I thought this would be a good time to just kind of like, you know, show my fans here. I'm going into my third Olympic games and here's what I kind of learned in, in my first two games. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought this is the perfect time to read it, you know, for Canadians coming out, especially coming out of the pandemic, kind of just give them, you know, a little motivation, um, in that sense. So yeah, I mean, of course, you know, I, I, I have, you know, probably so much more to tell in the story. Uh, definitely probably want to. You know, write a memoir when I'm done, and you know, have a you know biography, documentary, all those things. You know, on the on the rise. But I said, hey, let's you know, let's give you know, let's give a little taste and see how people take it and how people react to it. And you know, if it's something that you know that's that goes well, then yeah, I mean, of course, you know, there's always there's always more to the story to tell in in the next book. <laughs> yeah. So publishers and documentary filmmakers line yeah. up because there's still some more Andre stories yeah. to come. You talk about the lessons from the Olympic Games, but the lessons in the book. Mm -hmm. go way back to childhood yeah if you knew back then mm -hmm. what you knew now what would you want to tell uh, that young kid what what are some of those lessons that were you know? yeah I mean it's just so it's it's hard because there's so much to tell right you know like as a kid you're you're learning you're going through the motions and you're, you're just trying to figure it out right and Obviously, I think it's good that, you know, it's good to make mistakes and, you know, you want to, you know, as a kid, by me going through all those things that I've gone through, I'm able to now tell my story now in a sense to say, hey, here's some of the things that I went through and, you know, if I can help another kid and kind of navigate them, of course, everyone's going to have their, their own path and their own, you know, they're going to go through their ups and downs, but I'm just trying to let them know that, hey, you know, this is how I kind of navigated it and how I kind of went through the process of it and how, yeah, basically like how, you know, you can get better in, in a sense. So, um, of course, everyone has to go through their, you know, their trials and tribulations. And I kind of want to just kind of just share my story about that a bit in my childhood and, you know, show what, how my upbringing was and all the people that kind of supported me along the way and got me to where I am today. I love that the lessons aren't just about being a successful athlete, yeah. about being a successful dad, a successful yeah. family man. Why was that part of your story something you wanted to share yeah i think for me uh i want to show the full me i want to show the full me and not just the athlete um i think people can relate to that a bit more because you know like yourself you know you're a father um and like yeah i just wanted to show that hey you know i'm a dad you know i'm an author you know i'm a philanthropist like all the things that kind of made me successful to be the athlete i am today um, that's what I wanted to kind of show about myself. So I think that was like the, the key to say, hey, um, you know, you can relate to me. I'm relatable. 
um, I'm authentic and you know now you can kind of just kind of hear my story a bit and say hey you know this is oh this guy you know Andre DeGrasse he's he's a great guy you know he's he's humble he's he has great character and you know that's something that they can kind of take inspiration and motivation from we don't have many glowing examples of black Canadian men being so out there with how much family comes first which is one of the, the names of the chapters do you hear how important that representation is from other people oh yeah for sure definitely all the time you know especially when I come back to Canada um, you know I, I was even at the soccer game last night um, just incredible atmosphere of course you know just being able to be there and you know people calling my name and just you know showing how much of like inspiration I am to them so of course, like my family, my support system, um, everybody kind of plays a key role in, of kind of just guiding me towards the person I am today and being successful. Um, like if you would have said that, you know, my first Olympics or even the last Olympics, you know, now to now, you know, winning six Olympic medals, um, with, I don't think that would have been possible without them. So, of course, you know, just having their, up, you know, having their support with, with my upbringing, um, it just really just, you know, drove the key to success for me. You know, it just helped me in so many different ways um, from a, a mental, uh, an emotional, physical standpoint. So um, it definitely takes a team uh, all the time. You know, I tell people, like, you can't do this on your own. Um, you need that. You need that support from your family. And um, I think just having them in my corner all the way, it just, you know, it just drives me to be the best version of myself. Putting together a manual, it's almost TED Talk in words mm. of what people can do to follow you, but you're also putting together a manual for your kids. Yeah. When they're much older to read your story. Did you think about that <laughs> legacy uh, in the process? Uh, I mean, I think I did for my kids' book, my children's book, um, you know, just because, like, in a sense, you know, as a parent, you're always reading to your, your kids, you know, bedtime stories and. You know, when I first came out with my, my children's book, Race With Me, I was like, yeah, like, you know, this is something that, you know, they can read as they get older and, like, appreciate it. But, uh, you know, for I, I never thought of it like that, I guess, for, for this book. But definitely, I guess, as they get older, you know, and they get into their teenage years, because I feel like, you know, this, is, this book is like, you know, it's for people for all ages. But, you know, I think, you know, as you get into the teenage years, you can start to read it more and start to understand it more. Um, so I guess when they get to that age, um, yeah, I can see myself, you know, you know, they might, you know, they might read them, but you never know. Cause you know, as a, as, as a parent, you know, they just think of me as dad, you know, they're like, who are you? Right. So like, you know, they don't think of me as like the rest of the world. So who knows what they would think, but definitely I, I feel like I, my legacy, I want to leave a positive, you know, a message for them and, you know, try to just lead them to be good leaders as they get older. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, I can see that. <laughs> Your mother's hopes and dreams for you yeah. come through in the book. Uh, are they similar to the hopes and dreams you have for your kids? Do you find yourself mm -hmm. thinking uh, some of the same things your, your mom did with you with them? Yeah, I mean, I think so, for sure, because I, I know how, many, how, many, how much sacrifices my mom has made for me over the years, and I feel like I'm, I'm definitely going to do the same thing. Um, you know, um, I think like, you know, whether that's in sport or just supporting them, even if they don't even want to even like I told people all the time, like even if they don't even want to do track and field, like doesn't matter to me. Like I'm going to support them, whatever they want to do, whatever their, their their dreams take them. So um, definitely, I mean, um, you know, I find myself even now 
as uh, you know, they're five. When my daughter's five years old, I'm making sacrifices already. You know, like she, you know, she wants to go do this activity, do that activity, and I got to figure out ways of how to like navigate it all and say, okay, like I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do this, but I'm gonna make it there because I know, like, for example, like she had gymnastics and she's like, Daddy, I really want you to come, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna figure out a way to like how I can like schedule my thing so I can be there for her at her gymnastics. So I, I find myself doing that even now. So definitely as they get older and they want to accomplish more of their dreams, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be making sacrifices all the way, right? So <laughs> Is that tough? Because as a professional athlete, your yeah. window of success is so short. You've yeah. extended it. Uh, but and also the margins between victory and defeat are so small. Is that difficult to figure out how to manage it all? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, <laughs> all the time. I mean, you know, the schedule gets hectic sometimes, but um, I think I just like I breathe, you know, I breathe through it all. I think uh, meditation and just trying to figure out, OK, what's important? Um, what can I do first? What comes second? And of course, my kids always come first. So whatever that scenario is, I just try to figure it out the best way I can so that I'm there for them um, at all times. But yeah, I mean, all the time. <laughs> that's a that's a sacrifice thing so um but my mom taught me that very well she's like you know i made so many sacrifices for you as a kid and now as you get into more of adulthood and as a, getting as a grown man you're gonna you're gonna realize the same thing with your kids you mentioned meditation yeah something that culturally not yeah. necessarily accustomed to parents working two or three jobs that weren't meditating uh where did that practice come uh, for you and how did you implement it into your game yeah um i think i just just having a good support system around me talking to others you know other mentors um you know for myself i've realized you know in pressure pressure situations um there's a lot of them right on the track off the track um and you know i just learned that hey just breathe you know sometimes you just gotta just take a deep breath and just let it go and sometimes that, that can calm down the stress and it can really just be a game changer for me so i've i've learned to do that that's on the track whether that's like Right before I get into the starting blocks, I'm taking a deep breath and just let, let, you know, letting it all come to me and clear my mind. Or if I'm being a parent or just going through my daily life, you know, and sometimes, you know, it can get hectic and you just got to just take a breather one to two minutes and then get back right into it. So it's helped me a lot. And I think I talk about in the book a lot of lessons of, of things that have helped me in that sense to cope and things like that. So I think that's one of the things that I've gone gone fond of just meditating and just trying to you know get through get through the um get through the daily life of uh of Andre de Grasse <laughs> well like you I have two youths that I'm chasing yeah not as quickly as you are mm. uh but the book helped me a lot as well I know it's going to help a lot of people so congrats mm. and thank you yeah man I appreciate it thanks so much to Andre and you can get his book wherever you get books quite frankly it's brought to you by HarperCollins Canada Shout out also to former colleague, current friend, Dan Robson, who wrote it alongside Andre. Any project that Dan tackles is a bit of a beast and is also really, really strong. So make sure you give this one a read. Our next guest doesn't have a book yet, but certainly is the author of a real exciting story that is maybe at the climax, but maybe not because he's got his sights set on the Olympics next summer. He goes into them as a world champion. That's right. Pierce Lepage, who has been pushing and pushing and knocking at the door for a while, 
And now we as Canadians can say that the two best athletes, because the winner of the decathlon for me is the best athlete in the world, two best athletes in the world are Canadian. That is now Pierce and the defending Olympic champion, Damian Warner, also friend of this very podcast. His story is one that we've known because Damian has had such great longevity. He's been in the spotlight for such a long time. But because of, at times, injury and at times lack of opportunity, we're just starting to learn Pierce's story. So I'm excited for you to learn more about him, a real eclectic, thoughtful guy. I actually spent some time with him recently on a shoot for Lincoln Navigators. We are part of a spot that airs on Sportsnet and City, uh, where he is in a Lincoln Navigator, and we are talking about the sanctuary, not just of a great ride in a beautiful vehicle, but the sanctuary and life and his busy life and how he gets away from the trials and tribulations of being a track athlete. Well, I, I want to unpack what are some of those things that you do when you get away from track, and what has your ascension been like? That is the conversation coming up on Going Deep with the world champion of the decathlon world champion gold medalist when you are introed now it's a little heavy off the top but has it sunk in yet does it feel and sound right or or weird what what has this experience been like for you um well it definitely sounds better than world silver medalist that's for sure yeah so i like that upgrade it feels pretty good but uh um, I think it, I think it's like sunk in. I feel like uh, like it obviously feels good to be world champion stuff, but it just feels uh, I feel like I've kind of processed the entire year because when I think of worlds or someone actually asked me, uh, my training partner in Georgia, she was like, like when you look at the medal, what do you what do you see or what do you think? And I guess for me, I think of like the event, like I think of pole vault, I'll think of the of the javelin i'll think of running the 1500 i'll think of all the training i put in throughout the year all the training camps the good the bad so yeah no it just feels i look it feels good so yeah it's like a nice uh token for you know all the hard work i put in this year when you talk about the silver medalist uh you know moniker beforehand and you've for so long been someone who's mentioned as an honorable mention and, you know, someone who we should look at in the future or someone who's really coming along. Um, and now uh, you're here. When did you internally look at yourself as someone who, if you continue to do what you did and stay on your process, could be the best in the world? When did that inner belief happen for you? I think the very first moment of um, when I thought I could like compete with the big boys was when I first scored 8,000 points. This was like 2016 in France. And uh, it was my first like international meet. And it was all like, it's all these guys who just came off the Olympics. And I was, I was like nervous and like, what the heck is this? I was just a kid who played video games, occasionally did track. And next thing you know, I'm competing with all these Olympians and I did well. And I thought to myself, like, I can be with these people. Like I, I'm no different than them. I can uh, do that. And then obviously Training and training, I knew I always had the potential to, like, put up a big score. It just that, uh, you know, I kind of got injury-ridden and was dealing with this and dealing with that, where I would go I would go into decks, you know, in 2020 or in or 2021 or 2019. I would go in being like, how can I, like, get through the decathlon? How can I manage this injury so I can finish the decathlon? Where 
last year it was a, a little bit of the same story but a lot better but this year i was almost like surprised like shocked that I, I was like wait i'm not trying to get through this decathlon i'm trying to win this decathlon i'm here it's like what am i gonna do to win what am i gonna do to put up my best performance and that was a new feeling to me and it paid off and i'm i think just being healthy has a really uh like elevated my game i always felt like i was there i was just needing the health so let's walk through the world championships because you go in projecting what you might do in the individual events and how you know the other competitors that are vying for medals you know what their scores might look like as you went through you know off the first day and continuing when did you feel like okay i've put myself in position and now, based off the scores I put up, I just need to kind of bring it home and land the plane. Yeah, I feel like, so the first couple events, so long jump and, well, 100 meter and long jump happened. And I was like, ooh, that wasn't as uh, as good as I wanted. And I remember my coach, my physio, they're like, wake up, like, take some caffeine pills. Like, you, like to me, I felt fine, but I guess at least they noticed I was a little bit flat, flat. Then, uh, you know, re- reorganized, had a good shot, but, but and that was the end of session one. But even then, I was like, holy, what is going on? Because the German Leo jumped like eight meters through 17 meters. I was like, who is this guy? And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, then high jump happens. I think for me, high jump was like the, the the big thing because like I was dealing with injuries. I was, I'd always go to high jumping like, I'm going to put the bar two meters. I'm going to jump one time. And that was it. Where this time it's like, I, I, I was jumping high jump. I was doing what I, you know, I was actually performing in the event and I, I jumped 208 which is like the first it's probably the highest i've jumped since like 2019 and, and usually I, I feel like i give up so many points doing that and it's nice to be like wait i'm like back to where i was and i had a good 400 and then i remember thinking to myself after day one i think i told damien and his team and we were all just talking i was like some guy jumped eight meters and threw 17 meters and i'm 30 points behind him like that's pretty good you know i'm right in the race so and i woke up on day two and you know the rest kind of history i feel like i battled every event in day two and everything went pretty well and i think after pole vault i kind of realized that as long as i don't like explode i should have this in the bag and yeah i guess the rest is history what's that like to have damien there to compete with him and you've trained with him but also you are competing against him uh what's that dynamic like when you both essentially want the same thing you know at the end of the day we're like we're friends like obviously we are trying to win but uh i feel like we've we've we're both super supportive of each other you know i I want him to be at his best i'm sure he wants me to be at his best throughout the years it was a little different because obviously i was less of a threat so it was a little more like super supportive and we're still super supportive but um no it just He's just some guy, someone who's led by example for the past couple of years. And when you're young and just doing international competitions, to have someone who's like on your team, he's there with you, with your team, you're all working together. You can kind of see how he operates in the decathlon. You can kind of take what you need, take what you don't need, you know? And uh, yeah, just he's someone who's led by example. And I've definitely learned from him that way in a competitive aspect. And now, uh, yeah, we're both up there at the top. So it was really nice to share the podium with him. It's super nice for Canadians to see us dominate on this side, you know, of the decathlon. And even, you know, when you look at, you know, the multi-sport events, when you look at the heptathlon, you know, Georgia has had arguably the best ever NCAA career um, and, and was an Olympian, 
what is it about us up here um, that allows us to be, you know, so good, um, you know, in track specifically, but in, you know, the multi-sport uh, competitions? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I think, I don't know if it's just the cold weather or something is going on here, but we are like a multi-event nation. You know, we had, you know, we had uh, not just Damien, we have so many decathletes that do it. We had Brian Tyson Eden, we have Jessica Zlinka. We have so, I, I have no idea what's in the water or what's in the food or the culture, but for some reason we're really good at doing uh, a lot of events. <laughs> love to see it. Love the fact that you're continuing that legacy and that history. In talking to other Olympians, when they have that breakthrough moment and they win gold, I, and maybe because I spent so much time on my phone, I always want to know, what's it like when you pick up that phone afterwards and it blows up or it just shuts down from all the messages? But for someone in a multi-sport event, like you could be getting messages throughout because people are tracking how well you're doing and what place uh, you are and what you need to do moving forward. What was that like for you? Do you try to shut that out? Do you consume it was it overwhelming at the end i feel like i'm like because i play a lot of video games i'm ready i feel like i'm already terminally online so i'm pretty good with dealing with comments and stuff like that but uh it's definitely a unique experience to be like in the middle of an event and let's say you did really well to be people to see on your phone like holy crap look at pierce or damien or georgia look at look how good they're doing or if you're doing bad they're like stay with it you know like it's just so much support so it's kind of nice where in between like sessions you if you you know for me i like to you know whoever's around like talk to my parents or whoever and they can give me support i can tell them how it's going or how i'm feeling which is so unique compared to other events you can't just stop in the middle of shot put or discus or the hundred and be like yo mom i'm doing well so uh yeah then after day one same thing but in terms of fan support it's always it's always like a overwhelming feeling for me i still remember in tokyo after the day after day one i got like so many messages it's just it's hard to put into words like what i guess receiving support from the entire nation feels like it just you just feel proud of it to be canadian you feel like pretty connected someone you've had support from for a long time is your longtime coach uh, gregory portnoy take me through your relationship with him and your relationship with the sport how do you end up in, you know, the sport of decathlon in the first place? Yeah, I feel like at this point, Greg's like my second dad. And uh, we have we definitely have like that son, uh, son-father son relationship where, you know, you can just you kind of just can say whatever you want to your parents. And they're just like, ah, they say whatever you want to you. So it's kind of like that. But uh, no, I was a uh, I was like a young kid doing, you know, you do like, you do like volleyball, basketball, you do track and field day. And I remember. Uh, doing triple jump and I did it at like the local meet and I broke some area record and my dad, he was in a meeting. He was just, you know, talking about me, bragging about his kid. And my coach's former athlete who was a triple jumper was in that meeting. And I was, a, uh, he was around grade seven at the time. And he was like, what? He does triple jump. I want, I want to meet your kid and see him and blah, 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 blah. And so I meet Kevin, that's his name. And he coached me in triple jump for two years, like grade seven, grade eight. And it was like, coaching you know it was like i'll show up like once a week twice a week and i was like yeah that's fine like that's that's what it is to be a track athlete sure and then it, at the end of grade eight he was like i want you to train with greg my current coach and my like greg is like a old eastern european man very you know traditional and he calls me he's like you're too young i don't want to coach you that's and that was it and i was like oh okay so I did like the sensible thing as a kid and I quit all sports and played video games through at high school until I got a call in 
I think it was the end of grade 11. He called me. He was like, you're old enough. Get to the track. Like, come over. Come here. So I started training with him, and I was doing triple jump. And one day he's like, do you want to do octathlon, which is like a eight events instead of ten? It's like a beginner decathlon. And I was like, sure. Like, how bad could it be? Whatever. I did pretty well in that. And then that was the last time I uh, I did triple jump. I haven't done it since. And I haven't even, like, practiced it. I, I still miss it. But uh, I guess decathlon's not so bad. I have so many questions. One, did he have, like, a note in his calendar to be like on this day hit up pierce because he's old enough like how did that happen yeah, i know right on his 17th birthday call pierce he probably put that in his calendar like six years before i have no idea but uh just how it happened and then i feel like he's he's always been someone who like pushed me believed in me i feel like he was more invested motivated in track than i was and i feel like i really needed that when i was a kid because you know i was a kid i was lazy i wanted to do other things no one wants to leave school early to go to the track, to train for three hours, to bus home, to, you know, to spend your whole day doing it like four times a week. And he really pushed for me to do that. And uh, without him, I feel like I wouldn't have uh, even been able to have success internationally at all. So really grateful for him for that. The other question I need clarity on is what would your triple jump game be like right now if you had to do it cold? Because it looks easy. But the level of coordination that you need is, like, much more than a TikTok dance. Like, it's it's difficult. What would you be like now if you had to just do it cold? I'm a triple jumper at heart. I know if I stepped on the runway, did some triple jump, I would be – I don't, I don't, I don't want to say best in Canada, but, <laughs> you know, you know it is. Prideful of a triple jump. Yeah, maybe we, maybe we can see if you can double medal at uh, the Paris Olympics. Um, well, I, I want to talk about Paris because that's where, you know, the mind goes, uh, you know, for the country, um, looking forward, you know, for you, is there time to enjoy what you just did? Is there time to remove yourself or is it immediately X minus days from the Paris Olympics, uh, event starting? Um, I feel like the big competition is always in the back of your mind no matter what even at the start of the season it's always like worlds 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 but uh no i feel like taking my time i'm gonna reset do what we've done you know kind of the same thing we've been doing that has worked this year worked the year before and kind of start from start from scratch and build up and set our goals and set our plans but uh yeah i think for me it was just being healthy and i'm really looking forward to this year especially because the past two years, I've had to do rehab for like three months of like zero running, zero anything. So now I get like a real base season. I can run. So I'm expecting to be faster and stronger this year. You talk about that success. And that's, you know, where I want to end this on is because you know, people see the finished product and the medal around your neck and, you know, all the partnerships and fanfare that come with it um, and maybe lose the journey that it took to get there because the success for you wasn't necessarily linear what would you want people to know and learn uh, from your story, whether they're aspiring track athletes, aspiring athletes, or just, you know, uh, people who want to better themselves in their life? What's the one thing from your journey that you'd want them to understand? Yeah, I think uh, this doesn't necessarily apply to me and all track athletes. I feel like people will look at, especially, let's just, you know, the Olympics. They think the Olympics is... That's it. And we don't do anything for four years. There's just the Olympics. That's it. Then track people go do whatever. I, there's just so much work 
that track athletes do and not just track athletes just amateur sport athletes do every day that doesn't get noticed the ups and downs the the lack of funding the traveling all of it that goes into it the the physio and just all your teams your support i just i feel like a lot of that sometimes gets um unnoticed by people who just show up every four years and watches the olympics or worlds and uh just know that i guess there's a lot of uh effort that goes behind the athletes and i guess for athletes it's just this you know keep with it just because something bad has happened or your year didn't go perfectly doesn't mean it can't improve you can't improve you know i i remember when i was when i was going through my knee issues i was like i'm just gonna have to deal with this thing for the rest of my life but you know here i am the knees are good and i'm where i want to be you just got to keep pushing trusting the people around you you know i think if i didn't have full trust in my coach my physio i don't think i'd be here where i am today and just trust your support structures and keep at it well i love for you that that work and that trust the investment that you put in um you've been able to see full return on that investment thus far. So, so excited for you um, and looking forward to watching to see what you do next and looking forward to, you know, covering it and, and talking to you about it. Thank you so much for this, man. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. And I got one more thing on top of all that. I am a big fan of, you know, like enjoy things outside of your sport too. You know, I, I have hobbies. I have friends. I like to go do other things. Your sport isn't you. It doesn't define you. You can, I, I guess I'm a decathlete, but you know, I'm a really big nerd. I love board games. I love escape rooms. I like doing those things. I'm more nervous to go in an escape room than I am to run a 400 meters. So, you know, enjoy it all, you know, live in the moment. Thank you so much to Pierce for finding some sanctuary, not just in a Lincoln Navigator, but with me on this very podcast. After the break, someone who is driving success as an administrator after he's done it as both a father and a player. That would be Rowan Barrett. That's next on Going Deep. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad. Their names are Clifton and Lucille. Their grandchild's name is Rowan. That would be my son. And it is a name that he shares with a couple of black Canadians who have done some big things. Now, one would be RJ, Rowan Jr., but there was a Rowan that made noise as a basketball player before the current New York Knickerbocker, and that would be the pride of St. John's University, Rowan Barrett, who now is the leader of our national team as GM for Canada basketball. He has us not only ranked higher than we have been in the last two decades, he has us going back to the Olympics. First time since he was there as an athlete alongside Steve Nash. Well, no one is alongside him now. He is the sole general manager. After starting as the assistant GM, working in the youth ranks, he brought us a world championship at the junior level with gold. Well, now he's brought us a world championship with the senior level with a silver in beating the United States. And now, hopefully beating everybody this summer in the Olympics, but who will be on the team? What was it like to put this team together, especially knowing that if they didn't perform, 
everyone would be coming for his neck. And he put his neck out to bring along Jordy Fernandez as the head coach at the last minute. What was behind that decision? We go deep on all things Canada basketball and him earning respect for our country and himself, Rowan Barrett. What's up next? Congratulations. Mission one, Olympics accomplished. Mission two, a medal accomplished. What's it feel like for you now knowing the work that's gone in for years? Mm -hmm. It feels great. I think that there's a clear validation that, you know, our operations, our style of play, our system, um, that all of those things work, you know, at the highest level of play. The current number one, two, and three teams in the world, you know, we, we beat them this summer. And so, um, you know, I think on your way towards getting to the destination, there have to be indications along the way, right? Um, one, because you don't want to lose momentum. Two, you want to make sure that the people that are with you are always believing. And, you know, you, you need to have moments where you push through. Um, and so, you know, last summer beating Argentina for the first time in decades, right, as a, as a number five team in the world indication, you know. 11-1 and one in the qualifying, number one record in the world, another indication. Number one offense in the world through the qualifications, another indication, right? And so now you come into the World Cup, let's see where we are. And, you know, we, we get on the podium, we get a medal. Absolutely. I think it speaks to the strength of what we're doing and building and, and all the efforts of the people that it takes to make it here from our president, CEO, Michael Bartlett, you know, um, to all the staff that helps to put things together before we ever get to the court. Um, and then obviously to Jordy Fernandez and, and, and the players, um, you know, and our board, right, who's decided to take a path, you know, uh, uh, not traveled by many in terms of risk and everything else. But, you know, thankfully, we're able to to pay it back with performance. So, you know, feeling really good, you know, about where we are. But, you know, I always you always got that weight, you know, that's there understanding, um, you know, what's coming and that we got to be ready. Did you feel like? Let me turn this thing. Sorry, double check. I'm not sure if it's you. We all thought it was one of us, so it's, <laughs> it's you. I'm sure it's okay. Um, did you feel like it was a validation or affirmation of you as uh, the leader of the program? Because if things go south, mm-hmm. you're the person who people are going after. Yeah, I mean, quite often, you know. The focus should really never be somehow on me um, when the you know when the team does well because in the end the players win these games you know like when I was playing we weren't thinking about who was in the office <laughs> or who was doing whatever like the ball's in my hand like we're gonna win or lose the game and so I do love that the focus is on them. However, when you do lose, um, yes, that's generally when you'll see my name mentioned and and but that's a part of the job. Right, it's a part of taking the job, and so I guess yeah. If you're now winning, um, and I am a part of this this team and, and leading this group, then then yeah, my name's going to get mentioned there as well. But I mean, it's not necessarily something I <laughs> I chase, right? I you know I've been I've been in front of cameras since I was in high school. It's not something generally I chase, but um, it, it comes along with it. Um, I think that 
uh, yes, when you get a job to do, people are going to want to know whether or not you can get it done. And I think, you know, <clears throat> in 2012, uh, you know, it started in this with, with Steve Nash. I know I started as assistant GM at the time, and, and I had kind of control over the youth programming, and Steve obviously had the final decisions at the senior level. And, and so at the youth levels, um, we started in 2012, and we won the World Cup uh, for the first time in our history in 2017. And, and then uh, in 2019, I took over as the, the GM here, uh, making the, the final calls. And uh, in 2023, we're, we're, we're sitting on the podium here at the World Cup, and we're on our way to the Olympics. So um, am I happy? I don't know that when you're in my role, <laughs> that's necessarily a word that you think about. Um, do you feel validated? Mm. You know, I always feel like there's more work to be done here. We have not ultimately achieved what we want. And so uh, um, my focus is on that. And, you know, at the end, I'll let whoever wants to judge me however they want to uh, do that. But internally, I know what I'm driving for and what my focus is. Well, you weren't around this country when uh, it went down this summer to be receiving the conversation. Uh, so I'll, I'll bring you into the conversation in the barbershop, a space where you're not in as much anymore. Mm -hmm. But there was a feeling credit's going around. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Nash getting credit. Nick Nurse uh, getting credit. Glenn Grunwald getting credit. Mm -hmm. All no longer a part of the program. Mm -hmm. Where's Rowan's credit, who is still a part of the program? Do you hear that? Do you feel that? You know what? Uh, if I'm going to be honest, like, I was with that team, and, and that's all I could see. Um, and to, I, I don't read. I'm not reading, you know, what's being written or what's being said. I, I'm trying to focus on making sure we win, you know? And sometimes reading too much of that stuff, it can get into your mind, and it can start to alter how you see things, right? And... Uh, nothing is going to give me better information about what's going on than what I'm watching and the conversations I'm having with the players and the coaches and all that. So I try to keep my focus there. Um, I haven't been in the city for a little bit because I've been out. Um, but I would just say this. I would say that um, when you get to this point um, where we are and going into the Olympics now, um, nobody's doing that by themselves. And all the names you've mentioned everyone has helped push this thing, you know, up the hill, right? They, they, they've each pushed it a little bit further up the hill, a little bit further up the hill. And, um, and, and now, yeah, like, you know, as we've pushed through, you know, I am the one that's here, uh, you know, at the head of this. And, you know, I think what's important for me, what's good is that I think that they're, much like when I was playing, you know, I was really focused on, players, you know, young, maybe athletes looking and saying, hey, you know what? Wow. You know, like they're, they're, they're at the Olympics. They're doing this. I want to do that one day, you know? And so for me, probably what's important is, yeah, you know, that somebody maybe that's, you know, gone as far as they can in athletics, right? Or somebody that just has always had this love that maybe they can look, you know, at, at somebody born in Scarborough, right? Right around the corner. Um, you know, has been able to come in here and, and help to do the job to push the, you know, the country a little bit up the hill as well. And if that inspires some people to think, you know what, hey, well, you know, maybe I can do that too, 
then I think that's a great thing. You know, Deion Sanders recently was talking about the fact that uh, maybe some of his haters because when people see a black man in a powerful position, it's threatening. Mm. Uh, I look at you in your role, and one of the reasons why it's important is because it's legacy making. Mm -hmm. In the CEBL, so many of your former mm -hmm. national team players mm -hmm. uh, that look like you are running teams, some with the exact same title that you hold mm -hmm. with Canada basketball. How big is that a part of the legacy that you're trying to create? I think it's great, you know? And if I'm gonna be real, when I started it, I wasn't thinking that. You know, when I started in this, I was, you know, I was at the, you know, I was in the corporate world, right? I was doing that. It, it, my, my desire started from a very different place, right? It was one, I was tired of my former teammates overseas from all these different countries. Man, you guys couldn't get one win you know, at the World Cup, man, you let this team, you get Lebanon beat, you got, like, I got tired of hearing that, right? Like, countries trampling all over our flag. And I just decided, am I going to sit on the sidelines and complain? Or am I going to try to get involved and try to help change this thing? And that honestly was my first motivation, like, enough. You know, like, let's go, man. And the other part was, you know, I, I've known for quite some time that there were always players, really good ones, that just somehow slipped through the cracks, you know, that, that didn't make it. They were young, they were coming along, they were looking real good, and then something happened somewhere along the way, and they never quite got all the way to the national team, never got all the way to the pros. There was, there was always something there. Um, though at the time that I started, there were more of us getting through, which was great, but I still could see you know, the stories that just didn't make it. And I thought, I would love to go in and help those kids, you know, to make it, right? Like shore up some of those holes so these guys don't fall and help them along their way. And those were my motivations coming in. <laughs> uh, it's turned into something very different. Um, I started in youth development, you know, at first, 2010, I would help kind of basketball and youth development just to help these kids, you know, to try to steer them in the right path. And it's turned into something different. And obviously when you win, you know, rising tide, you know, kind of lifts, it lifts everything and everyone. And so um, if that is a legacy that comes from this, that I can see, uh, you know, guys like Jermaine and Javon Shepard and, you know, all these guys and uh, you know, Brady Heslop and all these guys get out there and they're, they're making these kind of moves. It's awesome. I think it's awesome for our game. And I think, you know, one day whenever I do, uh, you know, move on um, from this role, we'll be better for it. You know, we'll have more people, you know, in the, in the, in the pipeline, uh, not just the players, right? Because our pipeline is pretty full now. Like it's, and we're still filling it. We got more work to do, but it's also good to know that you have also other people that can jump in, you know, when the time comes, hopefully, and, and help the country in whatever way is needed down the line. So, man, I think it's good. I think it's good for basketball in our country. When the documentary is done about th this four-year period, one of the pivotal plot lines will be your decision to hire Jordy as the head coach. Walk me through that decision, and was there a moment where you felt, all right, I, I made the right one? You know, <laughs> these kinds of decisions are always challenging, right? Like, you know, I can remember, um, you know, when I hired Nick, you know, when we decided to make this decision with Nick and, you know, 
the Raptors had not won the championship um, by the time we, we knew we wanted to go with Nick. Um, and, you know, the thought was, like, what if, what if they don't win? You know, is Canada going to look at him as the coach that couldn't get it done? And is he going to start his tenure with us, you know, as the coach who couldn't get it done with the best team maybe the Raptors ever put on the floor? And so there was risk <laughs> in taking that. And obviously Nick did a great job, um, I think, for us. And so, you know, here, here we come with hiring Jordy. And, you know, once again, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's not Canadian. There's going to be people that say he's not Canadian, you know. Um, you know, what about the other coaches that you already have in your pipeline? And, and, you know, does he really know our players? Does he have any relationships with any of them? I mean, there's going to always be some things. Uh, like I said, I don't pay too much attention. I'm not on social. Like, I just don't. But I, I can imagine those thoughts. Um, but I think somewhere sometimes in your leadership, uh, you have to take the information. And, you know, you seek advice. A wise men as many advisors. I seek to be wise. I don't know how wise I am, but I definitely seek to be wise. And so, you know, you have many advisors. And at some point, you have to trust your gut, you know, and make a decision. And um, we believed that uh, this coach, with his understanding of the FIBA game, the styles of play of the other teams, having coached against some of the same coaches we're going to coach against, having been in the coaching staff of Spain, a world number one, you know, particularly in the staff of the head coach who's still coaching and have had coached some of those players that we were going to play against. Um, it made, just made a lot of sense to me, you know, not to mention the fact that he has a tremendous track record um, in his interrelationships with NBA players, having been in the NBA for many, many years. And from what I could see, this was just a head coach in waiting who just hadn't, you know, had the opportunity yet to, to be there, um, but I believe could get the job done. And I felt our culture could manage uh, this move. And I also think that we have a number of staff that would be supporting him that have been in the continuity um, working with these same players that could help maybe fill in some of the holes that, that he might have. And you know what? It's, uh, it's worked well so far. I know for a fact your wife enjoyed the World Championships more than you did. She <laughs> got to be there as a mom and a fan and a proud Canadian. Uh, you were there for business and pleasure. Yes. But take off the GM hat for a second. Okay. And when we've had conversations about that being a dream and a goal for RJ to be like his dad and putting it on the wall in your house, mm -hmm. for him to go get it, literally go get it. Yes. What was that like for you to experience? Yeah, you know, hugging him on the floor, you know, after accomplishing the task, uh, you know, that's a memory I'm not going to forget. Um, you know, somebody took a picture, you know, of it and sent, sent it to me as well. Um, I'm not going to forget that moment, you know. Um, I've said it before, you know, when, you're, when your children make goals for themselves, you know, and then they go out and they achieve them. Um, sometimes there's no prouder feeling, you know, that you can have as a parent, right? Because they're, they're, they're doing something meaningful, they're working at it with all their heart, you know, and they are actually impacting the community while they're doing it. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing feeling. Now, you know, there, there was that side of it, which is great. And obviously mom was there to, to watch them and, and hug them and, and do all that stuff. And, um, 
you know, especially these guys that play in the NBA, you know, like there's a lot of pressure playing in the NBA and you're getting paid. When you come to the national team, they're not getting paid, right? We are, we are receiving millions of dollars of free labor is actually what's happening. And it's a moment for them where it's not about the contracts. It's not about all that other stuff. It's about me and my countrymen out here for the flag. You are not going to trample on our flag. Let's go. And um, to also see your son, you know, grab the flag <laughs> and say, let's go. I mean, this is a powerful thing. You know, it's a very, very powerful thing. Now, the issue I have, right, is that, uh, you know, he wants more room to be made on that wall at home for his jersey, right? And I think he had some talk about putting my jersey down and elevating his jersey. I said, no, nah, it's still my house. That's not happening. But we'll make some room on the wall, obviously, for, for his jersey. But uh, I'm very, very happy and elated as a father, for sure. The beautiful thing about this team and why I hope many Canadians fall in love with their story, with your story as a player and an executive for it is there's multiple flags. It's a team of first and second generation Canadians whose families came from elsewhere. They came together, did something pretty cool mm -hmm. for this country. If you were to talk to many similar Canadians about the ride that you've been on with the program, mm -hmm. about the ride these individual players and their families have been mm -hmm. on in this country, what would you say to them about uh, the importance of, of that symbolization of what we can be as a country, but the realization based off of what they did on the floor? <clears throat> well, I think that we live in a unique country. You know, obviously my heritage, my, my parents were from Jamaica, out of many, one people. And, uh, uh, and, I, and, I, and I feel that way here. You know, I feel that there are many people <laughs> in this country. And... Um, one of the things I love about our country is that it has room, right? It has room for you, right? Regardless of where you come from, you know, the arms are open. And what I love about sport um, is that sport is a, it's a great equalizer, you know? Like when we, when you get behind those lines, it doesn't matter, you know, where you come from. Like we all have to have in the end the same goal, right? the same drive, the same love for one another, the same togetherness. And the fact that you can get that from, you know, people that are, have heritages, you know, that are, are different and that they can all come together for this one goal under one flag, I think is amazing. You know, I've lived in many different countries, you know, and um, being in Canada and being able to express yourself, uh, you know, regardless of where you come from, I think is amazing, you know? And uh, I think it's a benefit to living here. And one I think that we all kind of share in and are better for. And I think that, uh, you know, I think I'm also very, very proud that we are in a sport and in a federation that really believes in diversity, right? Um, equity you know, inclusion. Um, they're not just catchwords, catchphrases, you know, for us. Um, there's actual real work being done. You know, we have a, a diversity council, you know, that's being created that I chair that have people from within our sporting world, 
you know, not just within Canada basketball, but outside within our sporting world that are there supporting that, helping the organization as we have delved, you know, deeply into this um, to try to create Canada basketball as a place that's more equitable, more inclusive, you know, uh, more diverse. And um, we're achieving it, you know, and I think a leader like Michael Bartlett and, and Glenn Grunwald before him um, are, are people that thought this was important because it doesn't happen if the leader in the organization, you know, doesn't think it's important. And so I think the things that we're, you're seeing on the court are also happening within our offices and, and, and they're happening on our board. And so personally, after being with Canada Basketball for all these years, um, I don't know if I've ever been prouder to be a part of our organization than I am now, right? Um, seeing how important all people are uh, within, within, our, um, within our federation. Well, as you know, we're having an examination as a country of our national sports organizations. Lack of diverse leadership is one of the critical issues. Hopefully, what you've done both on the floor, uh, but also uh, within the sport is an example of why some diverse leadership is really, really important. So keep on winning, because when you win, we all win. Thank you. Congrats. Ah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And listen, I love when our Canadians are doing things on a big stage like Rowan has, but I also love when our Canadians represent our values of being humble, being hardworking and dedicated, showing the grit that we like to think we have as a country, but also enjoying their work when they do it. Andre, Pierce, and Rowan embody that, which is why they're successful, which is why we all should take not only pride, but inspiration in their success. Hopefully you got that from them based off of our conversations on this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. On behalf of myself and show who kindly puts them together, we appreciate the fact that you listen to the end. If you like it that much, then feel free to like, favorite, share, subscribe, and give five stars, because who gives four? Thanks for listening.